0: Good morning.
1: Good morning and welcome to chapel
0: on this beautiful Friday morning. Let's begin with a prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, lamplighter, midwife of change, comforter, disturber, inspirer, and advocate. Come fill this place with the gifts earth can neither produce nor afford. Come fill our lives with that rich mixture of peace and restlessness, calm and enthusiasm, which are hallmarks of holiness. Come, promised Spirit of God, find your way and make your home among us. Amen. Ruby Sales will be speaking with us again this morning. Ruby Sales is a long distance at... Activist for justice. She has preached around the country on race, class, gender, and reconciliation, as well as working on community and nonviolence formation. She is the director of the Spirit House Project, which is located in Columbus, Georgia, and focuses on interconnections of race, poverty, militarism, and state violence. Ruby spoke in chapel this past Wednesday, as well as at campus worship night, and she has participated in many classes on campus in the past couple of days. We are blessed to have Ruby speaking here in chapel with us again today. We have appreciated having Ruby on campus and the way she has challenged us to think about how we can be a part of the movement toward freedom. We will now join in song.
2: Everybody, please stand with me. Um, If you really need it, we'll be singing number 18 over my head from the green hymnal. Matthew 21, 1-11 When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth and Galilee. Join me in welcoming Ruby Sales.
1: This week at Ocean College in this community, I feel freedom of the world. And I say to you this morning, walk together, children. Don't get weary. We can work together to build a new world. Good Good morning. Good morning. You look pretty bright for nine o'clock, I'm constantly amazed at how bright people can be at nine o'clock in the morning. (laughs) 10, 10, right? (laughs) Well, morning, you know, I get up at 12. (laughs) We are gathered this morning for a very important occasion We are gathered here this morning, sisters and brothers, as a community to remember the life of our brother Jesus and his struggle with his people to move forward God's vision of a new world where we have the collective power to co-create with God new hopes and new possibilities and new realities. We are here this morning to celebrate the life of our brother Jesus, who committed his life to this vision and to the liberation of God's people. As we approach Good Friday and the hour of Jesus' execution, It is important that we draw as much meaning from his life as we do from his execution. For it is in his life, as a change agent and a teacher, that we find the jewels of good news that we can draw upon that can move us beyond our fears, our loneliness, our anxiety, and our powerlessness, that we can collectively break the back of those forces that bind us to fear. In the community where I grew up, when an older black first person first met you they immediately asked the question child who are your people how many of, how many who are your people they understood that we had a context for our lives and our people not our individualism provided that context for understanding who we are and what are our aspirations and hopes in life. Therefore, in celebrating the life of Jesus this morning, it is important for us to understand who are Jesus's people and what is the context that drives and shapes his work as a freedom fighter in the first century. Yes, Jesus had a people and a family. In the first century, as a matter of fact, the first decade of the first century, the emperor Augusta declared his reign as a season of peace that would resonate throughout the Roman Empire. Additionally, he promised that in this environment, under his reign, the people would reap tremendous benefits, one of which was to live in a safe and secure world. He promised them homeland security. Now, our history of the first century teaches us that Augustus Caesar was a liar. It teaches us that his words, that his soothing and promising words hid brutal and oppressive lies that went against God's vision and plans for humanity. We know that Augustus was not the guardian of peace. We know that he was the guardian of violence and terrorism. We know that he did not reign over a period of peace and security. We know that his was a reign of terrorism for thousands of people who were poor and colonized. And like all imperial lies, this lie hid the state's real agenda. And that agenda was to make the people completely subservient and obedient to the desires of the state and its agents. And we know that Augustus Caesar, when he looked out, he imagined a world where ordinary people would work while rich people lived off their labor. And we know that he did not promise a way out of poverty. For ordinary people, instead we know that he hemmed them to very small spaces with no way out to move from their stations in life. And to make sure that the people accepted their places in life and remained in it, we know that Caesar had a massive army, legions of 100,000 soldiers to hold the people in place just in case they got ideas about freedom. Does that sound familiar? The people of Jesus, the Jews, lived with Roman imperialism and terrorism on a daily basis. And however, history tells us that they were not a compliant people, Over and over and over again, they rose up against Roman desolation. We also know that Jesus was born shortly after the Roman Empire, executed by hanging thousands of Galileans who rose up against Roman power. And we know that the state hung them on a cross and lynched them. As in modern times, the state lynched people like Emmett Till. And we know from Emmett Till's lynching, the lynching of Emmett Till, and the history of lynching in our country that for the community that's being targeted, lynching is an act of terror that rings and lives in the consciousness of the people from generation to generation. And Jesus was born into that community that had been traumatized by the brute force of the Roman Empire. He was born into a people that was still reeling from the lynching and massacre of 2,000 Galileans, people from his community, Jews. And we can imagine that as Jesus heard this story growing up, we can imagine that he was affected by these massacres, the story of these massacres, we can imagine that this affected him as much as he was affected by God's promise of liberation to suffering people everywhere. We can imagine that Jesus, like Ella Baker, made a commitment as a youth to one day participate in a movement to free his people. And I can just stand back and imagine Jesus as a long, young person moved deeply by the poverty and suffering of his people. And I can see Jesus looking in for answers, looking into resisting communities, for space to live out his burning and thriving desire to be a freedom worker and God's representative on Earth. And that we know from the beginning that the state put a price on Jesus' head. That's the story. The state intends to kill him not only for what he promises to become, but because he stands as a symbol that documents the people's deep longing and desire to work for freedom. The state therefore intends to kill him because he is a threat to the existing order. And we know from Jesus' story that he and his family are on the run from his birth. They're on the run from the brutal intent of the empire, the murderous and brutal intent of the empire. And when we look at this story carefully, we understand and we are called to critique the state's call for law and order. We are also called to ask questions about what is the nature of criminalization in our society and who does the state see as natural criminals? The answer comes to us today as we look at the criminalization of African-American men and women and other people from colored communities. We see it evidence today in the massive buildup of the prison industrial complex that thrives economically on the captivity and the criminalization of these young men and women. We see evidence of this today as they make these young men and women work for 40 cents an hour. And these young people document for us what was true of Jesus they were not meant to survive as Order Lord tells us. But that's the great thing about resistance, that in community and in family, Jesus survived. So when we celebrate the life of Jesus, we celebrate a community's resilience to survive and thrive, thrive. And when we celebrate the life of Jesus, we celebrate a community that rose up out of the indignities of life to become dignified and God-loving people who had a different vision of how it is we should live on earth in relationship to each other and in relationship to God. In celebrating the life of Jesus, we celebrate a liberating theology that witnesses God's presence in history, in struggle with the people through difficult and hard times. And in celebrating the life of Jesus, we remember that it is in community. It is in community with each other that we develop the skills and resources that we need to stand up in life. When we celebrate Jesus' life, we remember that if we have the faith of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. When we celebrate the life of Jesus, we remember that no one has the power to make you hate or make you kill for them unless you give over your power to them. Instead, we learn that love creates justice and justice creates love. We learn that oppression and violence breaks the peace and breaks our common connections with God, each other, and all aspects of creation. As Christians, at Christmas, we remember Jesus' birth. At Good Friday, we remember his execution, but sometimes we forget who executed him and why. At Easter, we remember his resurrection into a safe spiritual world where he belongs to the ages rather than the people. And raising him up so high, We just historicize Jesus and minimize his place and social location as a Jew who belonged to a community that suffered from oppression. We forget that his people offered us hope out of the darkness of social desolation and state terrorism. In our dismemory, we silence the meaning of Jesus's life in a community of faith and the good news that Jesus and his community offers us. When we do not remember, we kill hope and meaning. In celebrating Jesus' life without celebrating his life, in celebrating Jesus' death, excuse me, without celebrating his life, I believe that we miss the essence of the good news that his life brings to us. Instead, we buy into the subliminal message of the state that the only radical, good radical freedom worker is a dead radical freedom worker. I know that's hard to hear. In celebrating the life of Jesus, the true nature of the state is revealed to us. We understand that the state and its agents have a long history of demonizing freedom workers and manipulating their communities into believing that their sons and daughters' freedom workers are dangerous to the survival and the security of their communities. In creating this official propaganda, the state and revisionist historians isolate freedom workers from their communities and their communities from them. They make them enemies rather than partners who share a common vision for freedom. Now they are free after doing this to not only execute freedom workers, but to kill the community's resistance to oppression and their movements to change it. With another devious stroke, the state distanced freedom workers from their communities by creating a false relationship that did not exist by spreading lies that they, the state, and freedom workers were allies who shared a common vision and worked together to achieve it. Can you imagine? The state and their agents do this to erode our confidence, the confidence and power of ordinary people by telling us that freedom fighters are exceptional people with powers that we do not possess, that they alone make a movement and change the world. Sisters and brothers, join me this morning in claim, reclaiming the life of Jesus. Let us say to the state that Jesus belongs to us, and you can have Jesus. Let us say to the state that Jesus was not above his history or his culture. We will assert the truth that Jesus came out of a people where the impulse of freedom burned bright consistently. It burned through enslavement, it burned through conquest and exile, it burned through religious persecution and Roman imperialism. He came up out of a people that believed that God is God. That there is only one God and God has the authority over life and death. Not the king, not the state, but God. Can you imagine the threat that this theology poses to kings, emperors, and the state who proclaim themselves to be the divine rulers of the world and all that is in it? Jesus came up out of a community that broke with this belief. He came up out of a community that proclaims God as a liberating God. He came up out of a people who believe that injustice is as much a spiritual disease as it is a social one. He came up out of a people who know that one cannot live by materialism alone, that one must be imbued with the fire of the living God. And he cautioned us, as he talked with us about the kingdom of God, that without the benefits of God, we starve. Without the benefits of God, we starve, without touching into those resources. Jesus is not above his community's aspirations to be free. He stands side by side with them them in their desires, and he believes like the prophet Isaiah that the old order will not stand. He believes in the power of ordinary people to create a new world. The former things, a world where the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. A new world where the sound of weeping or the sound of distress will not be the pervasive sounds that we hear. No more shall there be in this new world an infant that lives for a few days, or an old person does not live a lifetime. In this new world, we shall build houses and inhabit them. We shall plant vineyards and eat from them. We shall not build and another inhabit. We shall not plant and another eat." This is dangerous revolutionary talk and and a vision in an imperial colonialist state like the Roman Empire. You're talking revolution. You're talking about turning the existing order upside down. where peace is pervasive and lions sit alive with the sheep or whatever the verse is, that's the order, nonviolence. This is the, the common vision that we see and feel as we walk through Jesus's life and his journey on earth. And this is why thousands of people in the lesson this morning have joined Jesus on his march for freedom. The lesson tells us this morning that the people stirred with electric excitement because Jesus was the living manifestation of their vision and possibilities. They whispered to each other that this is our hour that the time for the people have come, that this is our hour of freedom, that the prophets have prophesied and that we've prayed and longed for. And believing this, they are willing to take to the streets and march with Jesus. And all of us know that it's dangerous to be in the street during the Roman Empire for ordinary people to gather. I know that during the 70s, Ronald Reagan thought that it was dangerous for this country for movement people to gather, so he passed an order, a law, that said that when two or three people gathered, it was conspiracy and a danger to the, and a clear and present danger to the existing order. As we celebrate the life of Jesus this morning, can we explore together in community with each other even as we leave this place the meaning of his life what does it what is the meaning of Jesus's life for us in the 20th century world that we live in in a world that we say is grounded in democracy in a world where we say there is no class in in a world where we say that we have come to the throne of justice. And I say to you this morning, when we remember the life of Jesus, we might be weary when we move, but we're not defeated. When we remember the life of Jesus, we throw away those things that cripple us, and we walk into the light of freedom. When we remember the life of Jesus, we let our little light of freedom shine. We say to the world, God gave us this light. It's ours to shine. You can't have it unless we give it to you.
2: your hymnals, your blue ones, to number 401, we'll sing this little, uh, this little light of mine. Um, don't let this be uh, your closing song for today. Let this be um, your anthem of conviction for what Ruby just said, um, that we have the chance to take Christ's light out into the world.